Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts is the fifth book of our New Testament. It is the history book of the early church. I wish we had time to read the entire 10th chapter of, of Acts chapter 10. It is the encounter between Cornelius and Peter. Now, who were those two people? Well, Peter, first of all, is the apostle, the disciple of Jesus. And he's down in Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. And Cornelius is up in Caesarea, also on the Mediterranean Sea. The first full day in 2014 when our Oakmont group went to the Holy Land, we spent at Caesarea. So I've kind of got this mental image, a little bit of what uh, Peter and what Cornelius were experiencing in sea. Now Cornelius is a Roman centurion. That means he's a military officer, of course, in the Roman army. He's in charge of about 100 men. That's what a centurion does. Cornelius is also what is known as a God-fearer. A God-fearer. And what that means is that Cornelius has not converted to Judaism. And you can understand being a Roman officer how that might be a difficult thing to justify to Caesar. Because Caesar is Lord. But, but he is sympathetic to the people who worship Yahweh God. So he is a worshiper of the God of the Jewish people. And we find out in chapter 10 that God, that an angel speaks to Cornelius and tells him to sin for Peter. And almost concurrently, Peter has this vision on the top of the rooftop of the home where he's staying. And then the Spirit speaks to Peter and says, Cornelius is going to be sending some of his officers and servants, and you're to go with him, with them, to explain to Cornelius and his family who this Jesus is. Because Cornelius had that kind of open and receptive heart. And God was helping Peter here to understand that the good news of Jesus is not just for Jewish people. And that's really good for you and me to know that. And the reason that's the case is because we wouldn't be here today in this place if the good news of Jesus was only for Jewish people. And, it, and it's for Gentiles. It's for non-Jewish people. It's for you and me. Well, let's read the story. Uh, verse 34, beginning in chapter 10 of Acts. Then Peter began to speak. Now, Peter's speaking to Cornelius and his family and all who are gathered around. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. 
But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Easter. Man, how many times have we heard that word throughout our lives? Easter. What does that word kick up for you? Well, I suppose that it kicks up a lot of different things. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It just depends on your perspective, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. For a lot of people, Easter is primarily the Easter bunny. And it's an Easter basket. And it may entail an Easter egg hunt. That's what Easter is. Or for some of us, Easter is that time of the year when we know there will be a built-in break, a vacation day in the schedule. So from school or work, I get a spring Easter break. So I look forward to Easter every year. That may be a perspective. Still others, it's an opportunity to break out the spring wardrobe. We do it on Easter, right? That's what Easter is for some people. For some people, Easter is the second date that you might mark on your calendar in addition to Christmas Eve. It's the two times out of the year that some people say, you know, I think I'll show up and be a part of worship in a church. Now, everything that happens between the birth and the resurrection doesn't get much attention, but at least we're going to celebrate the birth and we're going to celebrate the resurrection. For some people, many Christians, we view Easter as the promise. It's the promise of Jesus' bodily resurrection that one day when we die, we're promised we too will be bodily raised at some point when God consummates the end of history. We will have that bodily resurrection like Jesus and we too will spend an eternity with Christ. And still others take it a step further. They even view Easter as that time when we celebrate the cross and the resurrection. The fact that literally and spiritually Christ, through his death and his resurrection, has killed off the old self, the old nature, and he has transformed us and raised us up to newness of life so that, guess what? Every once in a while in our life, we actually start to think like, talk like, act like, sound like, and have the heart of Jesus. That's what resurrection is. It's actually a transformation and a newness of life, and it all happens because He's risen from the dead. He's the Lord of all of creation. He's even the Lord of my life now and can change me. But this text is a little different. Because in this text, 
that deals with resurrection. It deals with Jesus being crucified and being raised from the dead. In this text, Peter experiences an about face. He experiences an about face, a 180 degree turn in his perspective, in his orientation, and it's all fueled by the resurrection. And yet, the Easter event confirms that in God's new resurrection world, it's not at all about face. Let me explain what I mean. When you read the very opening verse that we read this morning, Acts 10, 34, let me read it for you again, or you can follow along with me. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now, your translation may have said partiality. Or your translation may have said that God is no respecter of persons. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, partiality. He's not a respecter of persons. But he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The New Testament's written in the Greek language. And the Greek language often doesn't really translate a word into English in a way that does it justice. The Greek word that is translated favoritism or partiality comes from a word that really means God is not an acceptor of the face. God is not an acceptor of the countenance. God is not an acceptor of what's on the surface. That's the literal translation of that verse. So we could go back and read it again. I now realize how true it is that God does not accept the face. That'd be an interesting translation, wouldn't it? You see, unlike us, God looks beneath the surface of a person. Unlike us, God looks behind the face. He sees the real person. It, this may make you feel a little uncomfortable, but he even knows what you're thinking right this very second. Can't wait till this service is over with so we can get to the Easter lunch. I didn't get enough sleep last night. I really would love to close my eyes right now just for a few moments. I mean, he knows all those things that's flashing through your mind. He sees behind the face. He knows what's clicking beneath the surface. That's the God that we worship. He is a God who knows instantly whether there is a receptivity and an openness in your heart and your mind to him. He knows all of that instantly. You know, it may be hard for us to admit this, but I really believe that many of us think that God has his favorites. And most of the time, God's favorites look a whole lot like us and act a whole lot like us and have the characteristics of us, whoever us is. Now, I can't speak for you. 
I can only speak for me. But I grew up as a child of the South. And I grew up in an extended family. I grew up in a community. I grew up in a church. I grew up with people that I started out in first grade with and actually graduated with a good number of folks as a senior in high school. I grew up with other folks in the school system. And it was a place where I'm ashamed to tell you that prejudice ran rampant. And exterior appearances were the basis of determining who was in and who was out. It wasn't always said explicitly, although sometimes it was said explicitly. It wasn't always said explicitly, but the implicit message was that surely God doesn't love other people of other racial of other religious, of other ethnic, of other educational or socioeconomic backgrounds, or even people with physical or emotional or mental disabilities. Surely God doesn't love all of those people as much as He loves me and mine. I'm ashamed to tell you that's kind of world I grew up in. It was an Archie Bunker world. Some of you laugh, so you know who I'm talking about. You remember the television show from the 1970s, All in the Family? Archie Bunker? You know, Archie was a man who never met a prejudice or a bias or a division that he didn't like. That's true. Archie didn't respect women. And that was personified by his wife, Edith, who he called the dingbat. Archie did not respect people of other nationalities, such as the Polish nationality. And he did not respect long-haired hippies. And that was all put together and personified in his son-in-law, Michael, who was the, he called Meathead. Remember the Meathead? And Archie did not like people of other ethnic and racial backgrounds, and that often was personified in his neighbor, George Jefferson, who was the African-American dry cleaner. Now, you know, we smile a little bit about that show, and some of you still, it can be seen in, in reruns. And yet, you know, the truth is, we have a lot of people in our world today, it can even include you and me. We're still Archie Bunker on occasion. Because we judge people on the outward appearance. It's the neighborhoods that we live in, it's the clothes we wear, it's the social connections, it's the educational background or the lack thereof. It's the racial, it's the ethnic, and it's the gender categories. 
And sometimes we may not say it with our words, but we certainly live it with our actions. Sometimes I really believe that we forget that God doesn't have any favorites. And he's always on the lookout for somebody who's got a heart. A heart like Cornelius had. A heart of someone that the early Jewish Christians would have never thought. Because if you keep reading in Acts, you see that God pours out the Holy Spirit on Cornelius and his family. And those servants that gathered around. And it blew their minds, the early Christians, that God could give the Holy Spirit to Cornelius and, you know, Gentiles. We forget sometimes that God's on the lookout for a heart. It doesn't matter what's on the face, the color of the face, where that face came from, what that face has or doesn't have by way of money or education or social status or prestige. God's just looking for a heart that's open to him. So you see, for, for us, on so many occasions, it really is all about the face. It's about the countenance. It's about the appearance. It's about the surface. What Peter makes really clear is that it's Easter. In this text, he makes clear that it's Jesus' resurrection that solidifies Jesus as, first of all, as Peter called him, Lord of all. And then it also solidifies Jesus' status as judge of the living and the dead. The text says, according to Peter, that God has appointed Jesus. He didn't say he's appointed any of us. God has appointed Jesus as the Lord of the living and the dead. And he's the only one with any integrity and any truthfulness and any grace who can look beneath the surface and see behind our faces and read the condition of the heart. And that's what he did with Cornelius. But you know, before Peter can see that it's not about the face, it's not about the countenance, it's not about the surface. God has to help Peter do an about face in his thinking. That's when God gives Peter a vision and he, he brings Peter and Cornelius together so that Peter can see that God really is doing something with not just the Jewish Christians, he's doing something for the entire world. He's doing it without condition. And it's not just for the Jews. He doesn't play favorites with people and with situations. And that's when Peter has that 180 experience. He has that about face experience. An experience of repentance himself. See, we're under the mistaken impression that repentance just takes place one time. It's a multiple experience in the course of our life. And that word... Repentance means to do an about face. It means to change your mind, your heart, your attitude, your perspective. We saw in the last week that the chief executive officer of United Airlines, he did an about face. Do you see, see that? Read about that. 
He did a 180 degree change of mind after airport security literally dragged a Kentucky physician off of an overbooked airline flight this past week. At first, CEO Oscar Munoz offered a general apology. Then later, he told airline employees in a letter that the doctor who was removed was, quote, disruptive and belligerent. After an avalanche of criticism from passengers on board that airplane that took video of it and then put it on uh, social media, and when the public saw the video after it went viral, Munoz did a complete 180 about face. He said he was deeply ashamed watching the video of the man being forcibly removed and he pledged never again that airport security police would be used to remove a passenger from an overbooked airline flight. I also read in the paper this past week that the Wake County school system, the Wake County school system is now in the process of completing the job of installing video cameras on all Wake County school buses. They believe that if they put the video cameras on the school buses, it will cut down on disruptive behavior among the students riding the bus. They think bullying will stop and fighting and picking on other folks and giving bus drivers a difficult time. And as a former Wake County school bus driver myself, of many moons ago. I have two years and three months experience driving a Wake County school bus. You know, I couldn't do this today uh, because you now have to be 18 years old to drive a school bus. And back then you could be 16 in just a month or two or three after I got my license, I started driving a bus. And trust me, the video camera is going to cut down on disruptive behavior. When they nail you on video of what you said and what you did that you swear to the good Lord when the bus driver hauls you into the principal, you say, I never said that or did that. It's going to cut down on disruptive behavior. I'm all for video cameras. I hope Pitt County schools get it moving that direction too. But here's what I kind of wonder. I mean, if God is the creator of the world, and if we have invented video cameras, don't you think God already had a video camera invented well before we figured it out? I wonder if Jesus, based on what Peter says here, he's the Lord of all. God has appointed him to be the judge of the living and the dead. I wonder one day if Jesus will use a video system on you and me. Do you think he'll replay every word, every deed, every thought, every attitude that we embraced? And like the United Airlines CEO, do you think there's a chance that some of us could be deeply ashamed of what we see? The times that we made it so much about face. And the times that we failed to do an about face.
What do you think? Let's pray together. God, you turned our world upside down. We thought Jesus' resurrection was this great day that we come and it's spring and the weather's getting warmer and we get to be with each other and celebrate that you brought Jesus back from life, from death to life. God, we didn't know you were turning the world upside down through the resurrection of Jesus. We didn't know that you were changing all of the reality as we thought it really was. So God, we pray you would forgive us this day when we have always made it about a face. And when we have failed to acknowledge you as the Lord of all the resurrected Jesus, the one whom you have appointed Jesus as Lord of all and judge of the living and the dead. Forgive us, Lord, because of all of that that we have failed to do an about face. And let your spirit come upon us even as it did Cornelius and those Gentiles and raise us up to a new way of thinking and being and doing. So forgive us this day and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.